Here's what we are introducing today. Regions where the ICU capacity is falling below 15%, uh, we are now mandating that we are implementing a stay-at-home order for three weeks. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. Governor Gavin Newsom made big news. The state is headed for another shutdown. Well, mostly. Sacramento reporter Alexi Kosov is here to discuss the governor's new rules and when they will affect the Bay Area. Then food writer Janelle Bitker will explain one of the biggest changes, a ban on outdoor dining, and what it will mean for the already decimated restaurant industry. Alexi Kosov, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Another busy day for you, as they always seem to be lately. But you have news um, from Governor Gavin Newsom about some major changes Californians can expect in their day-to-day life coming up. So can you talk about his announcement? Yeah, it was not an unexpected announcement, but is definitely a big one. Uh, the state is headed back toward uh, a shutdown order. Not quite as strict as the initial stay-at-home order that we had in March, but pretty close to what it was. And um, that will be rolling out across the state in the coming weeks. Uh, This time it's going to be regional. So um, when the Bay Area as a whole hits um, below 15% capacity in intensive care units across um, all of the counties in the region, um, you know, then residents will enter back into this modified stay-at-home order. And that's going to mean uh, you know, everything that you would expect, you know, no more going out to restaurants, only, only takeout and delivery, uh, no more hair salons and nail salons, uh, playgrounds are going to close again, uh, you know, museums and bars and wineries and movie theaters and all these kinds of things that had, you know, been trying to figure out a way to, to continue open under these difficult circumstances. Those are going to be closed again too. Um, what you are going to be allowed to do is you're still going to be allowed to go shopping, um, but but there's going to be new kinds of restrictions on on stores, grocery stores, you know, other retailers that may be trying to, you know, figure out a way to stay open for Christmas shopping and stuff like that. But they won't be able to have more than 20 percent capacity. I'm picturing big lines outside grocery stores because I, I, I you know, and that's I'm, a pretty I'm, low number. I am remembering back to what it was like in, you know, in the spring at some of the grocery stores that I saw with people lined up down the block. And, you know, it's definitely possible that we'll be seeing stuff like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and what's more, um, you know, the the state is basically saying, you know, don't travel, don't travel, you know, anywhere, basically, except if you need to exercise outdoors, go for a hike or or and go is that running as of in a today, park or something. Or does that only take place when the ICU beds go to 15%? So they're saying for that part, they're just saying, you know, think of that as, as you know, as the way things are going to be for the time being. Mm-hmm. Don't mix between households. Don't make, you know, don't make plans to, you know, if you, if you can avoid it, don't make plans to go see your family for the holidays, all those kinds of things. Really rethink because the whole point of this kind of order is to reduce mixing which Mm -hmm. you know when the virus is spreading at the level that it is right now any kind of mixing has a higher risk than it did before you know things that perhaps once seemed like a fairly low risk safe activity there's just more risk to it now because there is more there are more people out there with the virus who could be potentially spreading it um, so, so, so all Californians should be taking those guidelines into mind as of now. Um, but the, 
rules about businesses and playgrounds don't go into effect until your region hits the ICU capacity has dropped below 15%. Right. right? It's, it's complicated, but it's, but you know, it may get, you know, it, it, this is moving fast. And what he was saying is that within days, there are already regions that are going to be shutting down. And the projection is that the Bay area is going to hit that threshold by mid December. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's likely that, you know, within the next couple of weeks, um, you know, these, these things are going to happen no matter where you live in California. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's best to sort of just start preparing mentally for that now. And did he say how long it would last or will it be as long as that capacity is low for hospitals? Yeah. So, um, you know, he stressed that this is meant to be a a short term solution. So this will be in place for at least three weeks and uh, it's intended to really drive down that spread and, and prevent the ICU uh, capacity from from being overwhelmed. And if at the end of that three weeks, if the projections show that um, that that things have turned around in those regions and um, ICU capacity is starting to drop again, and they are either uh, they either have more than fifteen percent, um, you know, uh, more than fifteen percent of beds open again, or are projected to get there within four weeks they'll allow counties to start reopening. So I know that sounds complicated, but yeah, think it of it <laughs> think of it as essentially at least 3 weeks, you know, and potentially longer depending on, you know, how much people follow this and how quickly things turn around. But the 3 weeks don't start until the 15% threshold is reached. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, the the region of the state that looks like it's closest to getting uh, there right now is, you know, Northern California, which is basically all of those rural parts of the state kind of above the Bay Area and above Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And um, they're at about that 85% capacity right now. So that whole region is probably likely to be, uh, you know, in the next day or two uh, to be placed under the stay at home order. And, uh, but the the governor was saying that it's, you know, that almost everywhere in the state is right on the edge. Um, you know, Southern California, which is a huge region encompassing everywhere from San Luis Obispo down to the you know Mexico border is is right on the edge. The Central Valley is right on the edge. Mm-hmm. The greater Sacramento region is right on the edge. So, um, you know, pretty much everywhere is going to get there. And, and then the Bay Area will, will likely be, you know, trailing. But you know, by mid-December also under this new kind of order. And so where these regions are is probably a factor both of how much virus there is and how much hospital capacity they have in the first place. Because I would imagine some of the more rural parts of the state have fewer hospital beds. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they have throughout the course of this pandemic, you know, generally seen lower rates. Those are the last counties that have been in these less restrictive tiers and been able to keep things open more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're already seeing a lot of frustration and pushback from, you know, the political leaders in those areas, certainly who feel like this is an overly harsh, you know, metric and, and don't feel like there's the science to back it up. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a lot of businesses uh, and retailers will be allowed to stay open, but they just have to have very reduced capacity. And this was a, you know, this is a 
a negotiation that happened, right? I mean, the the original idea that Newsom floated was going back to uh, a stay-at-home order, you know, similar to the one that we had in March, a very, very strict one. And, you know, business groups were freaking out about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they felt like there's no way they could survive if that was the case, especially when, you know, the holidays are coming up and a lot of them are going to be relying on people, you know, shopping to to even survive through the end of this year. So this kind of 20% capacity was was a compromise. And, um, you know, unfortunately, when you make those kinds of political compromises in order to try and keep, you know, the economy alive, that immediately leads to people questioning, you know, the, the order at all, because, you know, why should a store get to stay open at 20% capacity, but a playground, which is outdoors, mm-hmm. has to shut down, right? So uh, there's a lot of intricacies here. And, and uh, you know, the, the governor recognized that frustration. I mean, he basically, he was basically begging with people at one point. This is the most challenging moment since the beginning of this pandemic. This is the time if there was ever any doubt to put aside your doubt, to put aside your skepticism, to put aside your cynicism, to put aside your ideology, to put aside any consideration except this. Lives are in the balance. You know, he was saying lives are on the line and and just really, really asking people to, to follow order despite all of the fatigue that I know we're all feeling about this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, to your point about playgrounds, I'm already seeing, you know, I'm a mom and um, I'm seeing, you know, comments on social media that parents are really frustrated by that because there's been no evidence that playgrounds contribute to the spread of the virus. And they only just reopened several weeks ago in San Francisco and are one of the few places kids can go right now. So I think there's some frustration about that. But on the other hand, he did say that schools that have, um, been given permission to open can remain open right, right. so which, nothing changes which is, for schools right and you know but there are so few that are even open right mm-hmm. now that i don't know how much of a difference that's going to make for um you know especially for uh you know students in the bay area where there have mm-hmm. been so few schools that have reopened um yeah and i think it's really reasonable that um you know that people may feel frustrated and and unsure about you know why why the governor is making the decisions that he is, you know, it's not always entirely clear. It's not always entirely clear, you know, to us as reporters trying to get mm-hmm. those answers. I mean, there were, you know, during the news briefing today in which he rolled this out and explained how it was going to work. There were reporters who asked directly, you know, how did you make the decisions about keeping certain things open and not keeping other things open? And, you know, we got a pretty general answer about just trying to reduce mixing overall you know, while also recognizing that there were, you know, some things, you know, like just trying to keep stores going. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's not always clear why to to us even why something like Playgrounds has to close. Right. Um, and just looking at your story here, he made a very clear point about um, how the number of cases and deaths have gone up so much in recent days. I'm Uh, The state had two back-to-back days of more than 100 deaths this week, including 113 deaths on Wednesday, he said, whereas a month ago it was just 14. So that is a really big jump. Yes. I mean, to be clear, you know, the the reason this is ultimately happening is because the, the virus is spreading and the spread is increasing and it's increasing rapidly. You know, 
we we are by sheer number of cases far above the peak of the summer surge now it's averaging over 15,000 a day in the last week of new cases and you know the while that is somewhat attributable to the higher number of tests that are being done the number the rate of positive tests is also increasing rapidly you know mm-hmm. we've we're above 7% now you know a month ago we were down below you know Four percent or something like that, mm-hmm. right? So you can see that it's just accelerating and accelerating, and, and you know, people people should just be aware that that there is a real shift happening here in terms of you know the risks out there. Yeah, and um, I wanted to ask you as a reporter who covers him. You had tweeted a few days ago that. Um, as I know from covering him when he was mayor, he just talks and talks and talks and he's not so good at taking questions. I think you tweeted at the last press conference, he talked for 83 minutes in a row and only took five questions. I was wondering if it got any better today. Um, It it was somewhat better, but this is a consistent problem. And I think, you know, it's, it's an issue that we like with the public are dealing with where there's a lot of information being thrown at us and not a lot of opportunity to sort through it and really understand what's going on. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah, the uh, Monday, uh, five questions in 83 minutes is, is, is just laughable, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's certainly not accountability to the public. Uh, today, um, you know, there were probably 10 or 12 questions. Um, but, you know, even still, there's just a lot to sort through here. And not everybody who wanted a question got one. I, I didn't get a question. I, mm-hmm. I haven't. You haven't gotten one in a long time. Right? I have not been able to ask him a question in over a month uh, since. And before, why might this be? Yeah, since before <laughs> uh, we reported on his, the birthday dinner that he attended at um, at the French Laundry with his with his friend Jason Kenny. So yeah, there's probably I've probably covered you know half a dozen press conferences of his uh, since then and have not been called on once. And you know this is this is the difficult part of of doing this job um, during the pandemic. We're, you know we're very lucky that we can continue to work from home and and do it safely, but we've been really restricted uh, to these virtual press conferences where you have to call in and hope that, you know, they will choose you to ask a question. You don't get, you know, you don't get to just shout, shout at the governor mm-hmm. and hope that he will, you know, listen to you. So and there's um, no chasing him down the hallway like I, exactly, I had to do sometimes exactly. at City Hall. <laughs> so, um, you know, we are doing our best to, to, you know, to ask the hard questions and get those answers for people to, you know, bring you know, all this uh, information that people are craving, but, um, you know, we don't, we don't always get, we don't always get that access that we need to do that. Well, I'm sure the governor listens to fifth admission. So if you're listening, Governor Newsom, take Alexi's questions next time. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining me. It was fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'll be back with food writer Janelle Bitker to talk about the governor's ban on outdoor dining and how restaurant owners are taking the news. Janelle Bitker, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. So big day um, for California in general, but a very big day for restaurants. Um, We learned from the governor that even outdoor dining is likely to be banned imminently. So can you tell me about his announcement and what it means for restaurants? Yeah. So whenever um, a region 
has to do the stay-at-home order. Um, restaurants will be restricted to takeout and delivery only. So all of those beautiful parklets we've been seeing going up all over the Bay Area would have to close, unfortunately. Right when the restaurant spent so much money to get them up. <laughs> I know. I know some places are still building them. Um, some have only been using them for a couple of weeks. So the timing isn't great for them. Um, I was just talking to a restaurant owner who was about to put a big canopy on his parklet. And now he's thinking maybe there's no point. Yeah. And you wrote in your story, which is up on sfchronicle.com, um, that those parklets can cost up to $30,000. So that's a big investment to not be able to use it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a huge investment. And I think leading up to making those investments, restaurant owners were wondering, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to pencil out? Um, Is there going to be another shutdown? There have been rumors for a long time. So everyone was making that calculation. Um, but maybe no one thought it would happen right now. I know that um, even the Chronicle reporters had been wondering for several days, hearing rumors, but nothing was official until today. Um, I was even noticing that heat lamps are almost impossible to buy now because restaurants were buying them up in such big numbers in hopes of surviving through this winter with their parklets. So um, a lot of money has gone into this effort, which is going to cease um, any day now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sounding like... A couple weeks, maybe. I think restaurant for the Bay Area. For the Bay yeah. Area, yeah. Restaurant owners I've been talking to are are trying to plan, and that's one thing they're saying is kind of a small silver lining right now. Is that in in past shutdowns they haven't really had any notice, but at least Bay Area restaurants um, feel like they have a week or two to decide what to do. Um, there will probably be a lot of layoffs. They might change um, their food purchasing, um, anything they can do to try to cut costs for now. And I know that our food team has been writing about the concept of hibernation, um, which a lot of restaurants are considering. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah, a lot of restaurants, even before this announcement, were thinking about just closing for the winter because the weather... It's getting colder. Um, January and February are always really slow months for restaurants anyway. So they were thinking, okay, if it's so cold that people don't want to sit outdoors um, and takeout and delivery has proven to not be super busy for a lot of places, um, maybe it would be better just to pull the plug, lay everyone off, try to make it and not spend money until the spring. What do you think is the likelihood that those restaurants would be able to reopen? Because it's so hard to open at any time. But, you know, um, during a pandemic after you've gotten such a huge economic hit, seems like it'd be even harder. It seems really difficult. Um, but I think there is still some hope for federal aid. Um, I think especially with the new administration coming in in January, a lot of restaurant owners are hoping for a new stimulus in the spring, at least, and then that could allow them to reopen. And what are restaurant owners telling you? Are they frustrated by this announcement? Do they understand it and think it's necessary? Or what is the general vibe? <laughs> um, people are disappointed and frustrated. I think on one hand, I've heard some people think this is really dire and a critical moment. 
um, for independent restaurants in the Bay Area and the coming weeks will determine whether they're able to survive or not. Um, and then I talked to one restaurant owner earlier who is trying to be more optimistic about it. Um, as I said, they're happy to get some sort of warning um, and be able to plan for this. And they're thinking about doing really big takeout meals for like Christmas Eve and, and New Year's mm. and and maybe those can be big money-making days because people have nowhere to go and they'll be tired of cooking. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is unlikely that just a couple holidays will be enough to sustain everything. Right. Are you thinking some restaurants might work through the holidays and then go into hibernation in January and February? I could definitely see that happening. Yeah. Um, And I think there's also this question still um, on a lot of people's minds of, Will this shutdown be just the three weeks that Gavin alluded to? Because um, in March, we were hearing two weeks, and we were hearing one (laughs) month, and we were hearing all these months later. (laughs) And now here we are. So I think some people are immediately a little skeptical and are fearing it might be much longer than three weeks. And it's hard because, as the governor said, we do have a light at the end of the tunnel, finally, with such great vaccine news, and people could start getting vaccines quite soon. Um, so things could turn around, you know, in spring of 2021. But by that point, what do you think the restaurant industry in San Francisco will be like? Everyone's been scared of winter. Um, today's news makes this winter even scarier. So I don't know. I mean, I think the restaurant closures have been devastating all year, but I also think that it hasn't been quite as bad as people feared. I remember in the beginning, people thought 80% of independent restaurants would close by the end of the pandemic. And we're not at the end of the pandemic, but it's clearly not been 80%. Um, But at the same time, everyone's been worried about winter. So I don't know. It could be um, really rough at the end of the year. The end of the year is when a lot of restaurant leases end. So Mm. the end of the year, we are constantly seeing a lot of closures in a normal year. Um, Mm -hmm. So we might have a better idea December 31st. That's interesting. And um, as a food writer, where have you been eating lately? Have you been doing much outdoor dining or are you sticking to home mostly or what has been your pattern? I have done some outdoor dining, but as you alluded to earlier, we um, have been hearing a lot of rumors about a shutdown and and we've been seeing cases rise. So these last few weeks, I've just been sticking to takeout and and playing it pretty safe, Um, ordering from new pop-ups, which has been exciting. Um, Soleil Ho, our critic, wrote about a new uh, Thai pop-up called Intuan, and I'm finally going to try it this Friday, which I'm very excited about. Where is that? Um, So the pop-up happens Sundays at Burba Wine Bar in Hayes Valley, but Mm -hmm. I live in the East Bay, and this Friday is her first pop-up in Berkeley at the Hidden Cafe, which has turned into this really exciting hub um, for Lots of different cool pop-ups. 
Oh, cool. Do you have any other um, favorite takeouts or deliveries to recommend to listeners since we're going to be stuck with that for a while? (laughs) It's funny because I think last time I talked to you, I mentioned my obsession with Singaporean food. Oh, yes. And I went again (laughs) to Lion Dance Cafe in Oakland, and it was even better than the first time. It was just so, so good. So I'm telling everyone to go there. And then um, I also went to this really wonderful pastrami pop-up recently called Pyro's Pastrami. And Mm. it really impressed me mostly for their vegan pastrami, actually. I mean, their normal pastrami. I know. (laughs) And I'm not vegan, obviously, but um, their normal pastrami was was delicious. And they go through this very long 18-day process to make this succulent pastrami with a beautiful hue and a thick crust, but the vegan one is made with celery root, which I really appreciate because a lot of vegan food can rely on soy and seitan and feel just like very heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. So having it be like a vegetable was really appealing to me, but it goes through the same very long curing, smoking, steaming pastrami process. And it was super smoky and, Mm. you know, spiced and delicious. And yes, highly recommend it. (laughs) Well, congratulations for being the first person to ever use the phrase vegan pastrami on fifth in mission. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) And thanks for joining me. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks, Heather. Thank you to Alexi Kossif and Janelle Bitker for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 